The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest and also a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. And yourself? Doing well. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank God we both could be here. Yeah, absolutely. Father, we have a few emails I'd like to try and address tonight. The first one is a reply to our most recent program where we talked about uh, Archbishop Vigano and his uh, his letter that he had written and uh, Peter Kwasniewski's analysis of it. And so this, um, this viewer said uh, that, first of all, she wants to make it very clear that she does like Father Jenkins very much. But uh, she says, I find his comments frustrating about the traditionalists who are faithful to the Latin Mass within the, quote, taken over by modernism Catholic Church. <laughs> uh, she says, where else are they supposed to go if there is no SSPV Mass near them? Um, as far as the comments regarding uh, Vigano, she says that, um, talking about the, um, how the question we had in the, the most recent program about the SSPX desiring Francis to make a traditional Catholic agreement with them, uh, rather than the other way around. She said, Father Jenkins makes a sweeping comment insinuating that the traditionalists are blending with the modernist. Then almost immediately after that, in the next part of the show, Father Jenkins is giving praises to Archbishop Vigano, a member of the hierarchy of the Novus Ordo modernist church, which he was just criticizing. Uh, Father gives him legitimacy by those comments, yet anything the SSPX does is never right. Father Jenkins also gives credence to LifeSite News, which could be classified in Father Jenkins' definition of traditionalists in line with the modernist church. So my question, respectfully, is this. Father Jenkins, how is the Catholic Church going to vary Vatican II without the influence and help of the SSPX and the FSSP and the Diocesan Latin Mass, and dare I say the SSPV? What's your response to that, Father? Well, <clears throat> I might actually ask answer with a question. How is the Catholic Church going to bury Vatican II if the SSPX and the FSSP continue to legitimize it and pretend that it's mostly good, right? And uh, talk merely about fixing it, right? If, uh, how are we going to lay Vatican II to rest once and for all if they continue to try to dress it up as though it, it's something Catholic, you know? And, you know, Archbishop Vigano is saying it's not Catholic and you can't Catholicize it uh, because the modernists uh, intended it to be a manifesto of theirs. And he's right about that. Now, sometimes people do ask the question, well, why praise, you know, conservative Novus Ordo bishops, uh, some who are making critical comments about Vatican II, and basically telling the truth, whereas we... Uh, at the same time, we're criticizing, let's say, uh, members of the Society of St. Pius X, clergy, even the bishops, especially, perhaps, uh, when they are uh, making statements about uh, trying to find a working arrangement with the Vatican, as it is. 
Well, I think it really comes down to a matter of the momentum. I mean, th th these are not static. These are in motion. In other words, they're talking about their plans. They're talking about where they're heading, the direction they're heading in. If you have a traditional Catholic organization that, uh, well, or purports to be a traditional Catholic organization that begins more and more to open up to Vatican II, begins more and more to open up to the modernist authorities in the Vatican, and want, wanting a working relationship with them, on the one hand, and you have a Nova Ordo Archbishop who says that for 60 years he's been promoting Vatican II and working uh, to implement it, and he re realizes that this is a tragic mistake, and he realizes that Vatican II is not really Catholic, and it has to be rejected, then I would say the trajectory of these two is quite in the opposite direction. Yes. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, you're saying that, well, you're heading in the wrong direction, uh, the SSPX, right? And the Archbishop Vigano is heading in the right direction. Now, that doesn't mean that Pius X has arrived at their goal yet, which is a working arrangement with the Vatican so that they're under the big umbrella of the modernists. Or Archbishop Vigano has arrived at his destination yet. But the fact is, they're heading in opposite directions here. And Archbishop Vigano is heading in the right direction, I believe. And SSPX is heading in the wrong direction, I believe. <clears throat> and I mean, the reason why I would uh, be critical of the Society of St. Pius X and his leadership is not out of enmity or animosity towards them. It's out of concern for them. I mean, I think the Society of St. Pius X is needed. I don't want to see it suffer shipwreck. I do care about it and mostly the people who are in it because they've got some great Catholic souls in the Society of St. Pius X and depending upon it. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to, you know, issue a pretty, uh, to, to, to kind of, call out the warning when they see them heading toward the shoals and heading toward shipwreck. And I think they are. I think the current direction they're heading in is really shipwreck. You know who would say that even more more insistently than I? It was Archbishop Lefebvre. Archbishop Lefebvre was trying to work out a working arrangement with the modernists in the Vatican throughout the 1980s. And in 1988, a protocol was produced, which Monsignor Lefebvre signed. He thought, he assumed, he gave them the benefit of the doubt that they were dealing with him honestly. And he very soon found out that they weren't. And he repudiated the agreement because he said it was not executed in good faith, not by the Vatican. And he, he was warning over and over again throughout the uh, ever since that, that time, he was warning during the time, but especially after that, that it is impossible to deal with the modernists. We cannot enter any, into any accord with the Vatican as long as modernism prevails there. Only when they have come back into union with Catholic Rome, only after they have accepted the traditional doctrine of the Catholic faith, can we possibly enter into any agreement with them? He was absolutely adamant about that. And uh, then, I mean, Bishop Fillet and, and uh, Bishop uh, Galaretta and others were totally on board with that, as long as the archbishop was repeating that. And through the early 90s, uh, again, uh, they were still saying the same thing. 
This is a doctrinal matter. We cannot compromise on doctrinal matters. So it's not possible to leave aside the question of Catholic doctrine to look for some kind of a practical working arrangement. I mean, at the time, they would have even then recognized that that's the essence, again, of ecumenism. We don't have the same faith, but we can work out a practical agreement as though we're still operating in the same church. And uh, it, that changed. That changed with John Paul II uh, offering the olive branch and, and, and trying to work things out, and then Benedict XVI. When you, you suddenly see Bishop Fillet saying, well, this is the Holy Father who is doing this now. And very suddenly, he changed his tune, as it were, from saying, until the doctrinal issues are settled, there is no working relationship possible, to, well, let's work on this, this working relationship, okay? And we'll, we'll worry about the doctrinal issues afterwards. Tom, I, kid, I tell you, it, when you read the statements that they made, and they have, you see the dates and where they made them, and you read down the list, you suddenly come to this tremendous transformation. I can't call it a transition. It's not. It's a transformation where the, the story changed, the, the, the whole approach changed. No, we have to work for a practical relationship first, and then we'll worry about the doctrinal matters. Exactly the opposite of what Christopher Fabs said had to be done. So as much as I'm saying, look, they're on the wrong wrong path here, Archbishop Lefebvre would be the first to stand up and say that what you're doing is, is absolutely in, not only impossible, it's inconscionable. You cannot work out some practical arrangement of dealing with them or working with them until you first address the doctrinal issues of Vatican II and uh, what came out of it. I mean, here, Archbishop uh, and by the way, you know, it might be a good idea if we posted some of these statements. I think people w would really benefit by seeing these things, in, but in black and white, statements by Archbishop Lefebvre, the early statements by, say, Bishop Fillet, and then this sudden, rather jarring change in course uh, during Benedict XVI. In fact, uh, you know, it, it was in, what, 2004 or so that uh, I think Benedict XVI issued Samorum Pontificum and, you know, took the, as, as Bishop Fillet said, uh, uh, took the chains off or something, freed up the, the Latin Mass. And within uh, 18 months of that, lifting the excommunication against the Society of St. Pius X, very shortly after that, Bishop Fillet completely reversed course. He said, no, let's find a practical arrangement because that's what the Holy Father wants. Nobody else wants it, but he wants it. So we have to do it for him. And that was a complete abandonment of, of the course set by Monsieur Lefebvre before he passed away. I think I'll, I'll gather that information together so we can put it on the website. Let people see it with their own eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say this is wrong. It's because I don't want the Society of St. Pius X and all of the people who are depending on it to suffer shipwreck on the shoals of modernism. But that's, that's where I'm afraid they're heading. Whereas I think Archbishop Took, uh, Archbishop, I'm sorry, Vigano. Me, thank you. <laughs> Archbishop Vigano is heading in the right direction to realize 
I mean, let's face it. Look, look at where he came from. You know, over the last, just over the last year, how far he's come to recognize the reality of Vatican II. Yes. That it can't be rehabilitated. It can't be Catholic, baptized Catholic. Uh, we have to annul it. We have to bury it. And I, I'd like to think, and I hope and pray, the next step is for him to say, well, if Vatican II was that, and it should be buried, what about the Novus Ordo religion that came out of Vatican II? What about all the changes that came in? Yep. I mean, the man is is very, very bright, very intelligent. And uh, clearly, I mean, if he's managed to figure these things out from prayer and reflection and reading, it's not only his own intelligence at work here. I mean, there's divine grace here. So I'd like to think that God is moving him in this direction to re realize, yes, the religion that came out of Vatican II, all the works of Vatican II, are, uh, are anathema to the Catholic Church, you know. And uh, we have to reject these things. Oddly enough, at the same time, the Society of St. Pius X is lurking to find a means of coexistence with these things. Mm -hmm. But, Father, I think one important point to make is that, you know, ju just simply because Archbishop Vigano might, might say the right things in some circumstances, that doesn't mean uh, by any means that, that we're saying, okay, of course, now he's 100% Legitimate, we can go to his masses. We can oh, receive no, his sacraments. No. I mean, there's still the right a problem thing. with the ordination rites, the Novus Ordo, and so right. But the opposite is also true. Yeah. Just, just simply because we are sometimes on this, this show critical of, of, of the SSPX and some of the positions that they take, that does not by any means, you know, we're not saying that no one, no traditional Catholic can go to the to the Society of Saint Pius X. We're not at all saying that. And I think sometimes it's important no. to. Um, make that distinction. It's not simply because Archbishop Vigano says the right things and the SSPX that says That he's all right, right, and because the SSPX is doing some bad things, they're all wrong. Right. No, but no one has ever said that. I mean, the writer is kind of inferring that, but it's a false inference. We've never yeah. said that. Yeah. Um, you know, as I say, I have a certain affection for this Society of the Tenth, certainly for Monsignor Lefebvre. I don't want to see his work go crashing down in flames, in modernist flames. Um, it's too important that for that. And if you didn't sound the warning, that would be a, a criminal thing to, to do, to let, to let something terrible happen to all these people. Yeah. So it's just a matter of sounding the warning that, that you know, there's, there's danger ahead there, where yep. they're going. Yep. Um, but again, as I say, I mean, uh, I, I couldn't endorse Archbishop Bigano's current position to say, well, it sounds like he's saying, Yes, Vatican II was not Catholic. It was the work of modernism. There's no way to reform it. But at the same time, I mean, essentially, he's still very much involved with the religion that followed from Vatican II, mm -hmm. the Novosoro yeah. construct. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that he will continue in the direction that he's going and realize, you know, draw the necessary conclusions. And I uh, have reason to, to expect that he will. But we have to pray for him for that. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I recommend we pray for both Archbishop Bigano and we pray for the Society of St. Pius X, Bishop Filet, and all those involved here. Mm -hmm. I do, and I'm sure you do too. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, by the way, the, the, she asked you, or the writer actually asked a question. Um, where else are they supposed to go if there is no SSPV mass near them? Okay, that's another question, you know. But I mean, if they have a, a valid, truly traditional Mass, the true Roman rite of Mass to go to, being offered by a truly validly ordained 
traditional Catholic priest, not one of these who claims to be traditional but really isn't, like, uh, you know, following those who consecrated non-Catholics as bishops, for example, I mean, that's totally illegitimate. That's not traditional. But uh, if they have a truly traditional priest who is validly ordained as a truly traditional priest by a truly you know, validly consecrated Catholic bishop, then they can go to that. And, you know, the Society of St. Pius V has never claimed that we have a monopoly on holy orders. We've never <laughs> yes. said that. Yes. You know, we just say that, well, look, the reason why I am with the Society of St. Pius V is because I see that they follow Catholic tradition and they don't deviate. And the reason why there are divisions among traditional Catholics is because while there are many people who are claiming to be traditional, many priests and even Bishops claiming to be traditional, they're, they're not following Catholic tradition. And the Society of St. Pius X at, 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 mo at the moment is actually following an, an ecumenical course dictated actually by modernist principles to the, the idea that you can be, have a working relationship, uh, with, uh, modernists right now. Um, even though you, you say, we don't have the same doctrine, so essentially we don't have the same faith, but we can still have a working relationship in the same church. I mean, this is the essence of modernism. That's admitting the core principle of modernism, that you get a one church with multiple different faiths, and then for multiple different religious practices in, involved. So multiple different religions. And uh, this seems to be where the Society of St. Pius X is certainly implying very strongly by the course that they've set for themselves, and we have to say that's wrong. Right. Um, but, you know, the fact is, we've, we've never said, despite the fact that we see other groups, you know, going off in, in different directions and that are not traditional, we give warnings, we condemn the, the, the errors, you know, in, in the principles that they're espousing, but we've never come out and said, we're all that's left of the church, we've never said that. Right. Okay. So again, I mean, if you can find a traditional, a real traditional Catholic priest who's validly ordained traditional Catholic priest or a real traditional Catholic bishop, then uh, you know, barring great scandal, go there, sure. attend mass there, receive the sacraments there. Okay. Uh, well, Father, we have another email. I think this is a, a great question that I'd like to get your reply to. Um, it's from a viewer who says that she's been invited by a Novus Ordo friend to a rosary rally. Uh, she's curious if she uh, should go to this rosary rally and, and pray with the Novus Ordo Catholics. She believes she would be the only traditional Catholic there. She says, obviously, it's. Um, I know it isn't appropriate to pray with Protestants, uh, but what do you think about praying uh, the, the rosary at a, a Novus Ordo rosary rally? Well, when we have public rosaries prayed, we usually refer to them like the rosary procession or some kind of religious function. Mm -hmm. Rally indicates something either political or sports, sportsy, you know. <laughs> so I think it, it, it conjures up all kinds of deals of speeches being given and people speechifying on political issues or whatever else. I don't know. Um, as long as it's the rosary, you know, that's, that's fine, as long as it's the rosary. You know? um, but as a wise gentleman pointed out not long ago, I mean, when one mixes with the Novus Ordo at their rosary rallies or whatever, they're, they're in danger of being led into the luminous mysteries. 
uh, which are not traditional, really, in origin. Right? Francis invented them, right? It's not the rosary that Our Lady gave to St. Dominic with the mysteries as the Church has recognized them for all these centuries. And again, I mean, if you look at the mysteries in themselves, they are all scriptural. Uh, but if you look at the process of issuing them, you see that the Novus Ordo does these things in order to, in order to cement the idea that we can change these, these things. Nothing, nothing is fixed. We can change everything. Was that John Paul II? That was uh, John Paul II, I believe. Okay. Um, I believe. Not Francis. Or was it Francis? I thought it was John Paul II. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, <laughs> now I've been thrown off here. <laughs> it might have been Francis, actually. It probably was. Yeah, sure. It was Francis. But in any case, I mean, at Vatican II, uh, they, were, they were looking to add the name of St. Joseph to the canon. Mm-hmm. And so the question became, well, are, are you against St. Joseph? <laughs> Don't you love St. Joseph? <laughs> well, there are theological issues, and there were reasons why the name St. Joseph was not in the canon for all those hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. And, uh, but it came down to a simple matter of, well, we all love St. Joseph. Let's put his name in the canon. Yes. Uh, and, of course, as soon as they got that, his name in the canon, they went to work yep. because they had an opening to go through, and now we can change everything. You can change one word after all these centuries. What what is sacred? What can't be changed? And so, uh, you know, one has to be careful when the modernists propose something that looks pious to make it change. Realize what they're up to. They're looking to put that thin end of the wedge in there and then drive it mm-hmm. to break it apart. And the same with the luminous mysteries, you know. If they can change that, what what, what else can can't they change, or can they change? Mm-hmm. Um, so, in any case, um, you know, as far as joining in and praying the Rosary, I don't see any problem with it myself, unless it would number one pose a danger to the people who are going that they're going to be kind of drawn into the Novus Ordo, thinking, "Well, this isn't so bad." Or, secondly, that their presence there is a scandal to others who would say, oh, look, they're going, they're going to the Novus Ordo Rosary Rally, so they must think it's okay, that the Novus Ordo is okay. That's not, they don't believe that, but by presence there could be interpreted that way. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I, I don't think it would be wrong to go to pray. What, what should a traditional Catholic do if they were to go to a rosary rally that they thought was going to be more traditional and they, the, they begin praying the luminous mysteries? What, no, they, what should, should, they should go off on their own and pray the traditional, pray the traditional mysteries of the rosary. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Um, then another email, Father. Is there a difference between soul and spirit? Why do they seem to be used as synonyms? Do we have both a soul and a spirit? Well, you know, St. Paul's epistles sometimes speak as though they were distinct. But our, sp- our spirit is our soul. Our soul and our spirit are, are the same in us, right? Now, I mean, you know, you can, you can go into the ph- philosophy of it, okay? And the philosopher might say, well, your soul is your spirit insofar as your spirit is united with your body. And so, you know, then it ensouls the body and makes the body live. So we might say, classically speaking, that the spirit is technically the soul in, in terms of its 
union with the body. Uh, without the body, it's pure spirit, but it's ordered to be united to the body anyway. I mean, even the saints in heaven are referred to the philosopher by philosophers and theologians as incomplete substances because we, by the nature God has given us, our souls, our, our spirits are designed to be united with bodies. And we are complete only when body and soul are together. That's why death is so hard. It's the forcible <clears throat> prying apart of the body and the soul, right? That's why death is so awful and is a punishment for sin. Because the body has to be recreated because it is the instrument of sin. It is more than the instrument of sin. It's the agent of sin, as the soul is, you know. And the soul is recreated by grace, essentially. Well, not essentially, but, you know, it, it, it has to be reborn in grace. And the body has to return to the elements and be refashioned by God and reunited with the soul. And when we become complete again, as it were. But um, now, you know, it's actually a fairly good question because there are groups out there that are trying to say there's a real distinction in man between the body, the soul, and the spirit. Like the Gnostics. The Gnostics, the Gnostics themselves make that distinction. For all I know, Mormons might too, because Mormonism actually draws from Gnosticism. Mormonism, in fact, draws from the Jewish cabal, which is very much a Gnostic uh, school of thought. Okay, uh, All you have to do is read uh, the, the text of the, of the, of the speech um, of J uh, John Smith, right? Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith. I'm sorry, I knew that. <laughs> that didn't sound right. Joseph Smith um, on the, at the, the burial, the funeral for his friend, King Follett, mm -hmm. right? And there Joseph Smith was asked, to, was asked to give the funeral oration for his friend, King Follett. He wasn't a king, that was his name, King Follett, F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And you start reading the speech that he gave, it was taken down by four men, all furiously writing away. It's considered to be part of almost like the canon of the Church of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. It's on their websites. And very soon, Joseph Smith is going actually through this idea, uh, this whole interpretation of the book of Genesis according to the Jewish cabal, easily verified most people, I think, including many Mormons, I think if they started reading that, would get to that point and they'd say, hey, what's going on here? This doesn't sound right. And they're right. It wouldn't be right. That's Kabbalistic literature. That's not Christianity. But in any case, the, 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 uh, the Gnostics actually talk about our passage through this life, that we are each a spark of God, as it were, a part of God. And you have uh, people who kind of are at the lowest level, of, like the, the, the materialist. But then the next level above that, in the level of freeing oneself from this world, because this world, in their view, is a kind of prison where God has been imprisoned, meaning you and I, is the level of the soul. 
And these are the religious people. They're not the gross materialists who have no concept that they are divine. But this, the, uh, the next level up is those who, who think of the soul, but they are involved in religion and religious practice, and they have a code of morality. They believe in churches and faith and so on. But the next level are the spiritual ones, who've kind of outgrown the idea of the soul and its morality and, and all of that, now, they are, they are spiritual. They're the ones who, for example, who would say, I'm spiritual but not religious, to distinguish between themselves and those who are still in the soul mentality. So that there are those who are trying to make this distinction. They're trying to interpret St. Paul to fit their way of thinking, and it, it's a Gnostic idea that when you get to that third level where you are spiritual, meaning you're beyond religion and you're, you're beyond moral principle, you are ready to be freed and to return to your divine state, finally, and to escape the prison of this world that was created by the Demiurge, who shattered God into billions of, of, of sparks and stuffed him into this world and imprisoned him in matter. And lo and behold, that you and I, and all of us, we really, we are those little sparks of God struggling to escape this prison. The creator of this world is the evil Demiurge. And we have to escape the clutches of the prison of this world by its evil creator. And the only way we can do that is by recognizing our own divinity and becoming not materialist, not even religious, but spiritual. That we are God. That's what essentially what it means. We're part of God. So anyway, um, one has to be very, very wary of that idea these days. If they could recognize the Gnostic roots of that distinction. Okay. Right. Uh, then perhaps last email, Father. Is there a connection between liberation theology and the prosperity gospel? Uh, he says that uh, Francis has endorsed both Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, and other obviously fraudulent televangelists. Uh, combined with his recent support for liberation theology, there seems to be a mixture of these evils. What do you think, Father? Well, I know there was some effort to uh, make some uh, sort of uh, alliance between Ken Copeland, Kenneth Copeland, and Francis at one point. Mm-hmm. In fact, Kenneth Copeland, uh, I understand, back in 2014, had a schismatically ordained Protestant man named Tony Palmer uh, on his show. And Tony Palmer was actually spouting the line that we... Uh, the ecumenical line of trying to bring the evangelicals back uh, together with the Novus Ordo Catholics under Francis. And he saw in Francis an opportunity now to unite these. In fact, Tony Palmer had been schismatically ordained in some kind of a quasi-church that, that actually taught something to the effect that the Christian church had been split into three different parts. You had the Protestant idea of faith. They went their way. 
the Catholic idea of sacraments, and the Orthodox went their way. I forget what that how he described that. Anyway, these um, this was a theory I think that even came out of India sometime back when. And uh, Tony Palmer was or was ordained and, and consecrated a bishop in this schismatic sect that was spouting this idea of bringing these three parts of the church, of the Christian church, back together again, reuniting them, so that the Protestant church would now appreciate the value of sacraments, and that the, sacra the, the, the Catholic, the Novus Ordo Catholic Church, would appreciate the value of Protestant idea on faith, and they'd all come back together, as, and they'd all appreciate each other and come back to one big happy family. Okay, some big synthesis of Christianity. And, um, I mean, there was a great deal of enthusiasm by Kenneth Copeland and by Tony Palmer. Tony Palmer was talking about how he'd been to the Vatican, was welcomed by Francis, even welcomed him at his, as his fellow brother bishop. Mm -hmm. Well, I imagine that's more of an admission for Francis, that he, we have this Protestant, schismatically consecrated bishop, and Francis is saying he's his fellow brother bishop with this schismatic the consecrated Protestant. Yeah. And I would say, well, there's probably more truth to that than even Francis realized. <clears throat> but uh, the whole idea was this was going to be a great ecumenical movement. And then the whole thing seemed to grind to a halt when not long thereafter, uh, Tony Palmer was riding a motorcycle in England and uh, rode the motorcycle head-on into an oncoming car and died. <clears throat> Tragically, I mean, uh, sadly, but it seemed like he was going to be the point man for bringing this together, and all of a sudden, you know, God called him away from this earth, but <clears throat> suddenly. So, um, now, Kenneth Copeland was so invested in this at the time, I, I don't know that he's given up on the idea. He might still be having ecumenical outreaches to Francis, and Francis might still be having ecumenical outreaches to him, for all I know. <clears throat> but after Tony, Tony Palmer died, it seemed to kind of... That didn't hear any more about it. In any case, I bet you people could still go online and find that. I bet you there's a video on that encounter of Kenneth Copeland, Tony Palmer, and then Francis patching in by some kind of video message to the Protestants about how we're all going to get together and be one big happy family again. Um, with regard to the strange... Um, marriage of these things, though. Uh, the question has to do with, well, on the one hand, you've got Kenneth Copeland and his prosperity gospel, and Francis, on the other hand, who is talking about the poor and even the communists having the right idea because they favor the poor, and that's what the church is all about, right? That so in some ways, the, the communists are more Catholic than the Catholics, yeah. Yeah, the way Francis talked yeah. about it. And so how do you bring the prosperity gospel together with this socialist, anti-capitalist message where France, France is condemning capitalism, right? He never comes out right and says socialism is good and the way to go, but he has come out and condemned capitalism. Yes. And uh, doesn't the prosperity gospel promote capitalism, right? You think so? Making a profit? That's where you get prosperity, right? Well, you know, Tom, the way I would look at it is this. Francis is talking against capitalism. And at the same time, 
He's having these seminars, these get-togethers, these population get-togethers at the uh, Academy of Sciences, the politi- pontifical, uh, political, the pontifical Academy of Sciences. And who's he inviting there? He's inviting the movers and shakers in the population movement. <clears throat> who's he very cozy with? <clears throat> He's actually cozy with billionaires. He's cozy with Soros. He's cozy with Gates. <clears throat> He's cozy with the Communist Party of China, which the story goes, and I think is very credible, is pumping $2 billion into the Vatican coffers every year. He's cozy with all this going on. He's got all this going on with the Institute of Religious Works, you know, the Institute of Pious Works, where they've got billions of dollars they're, they're investing in various things, like this tenement, uh, this building in, 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 uh, in London that they blew this money on. Right and and even immoral movies. Right, uh, they're investing in these companies that are doing this. So Francis is very heavily invested in capitalist enterprise, and he's very very chummy with very big name and high moneyed capitalists, who all share his social vision. So why would somebody who's a billionaire, who's made billions through capitalism, favor socialism? Because he's already got the money. And the socialists know that when socialism is imposed on societies, they, the billionaires, think they're going to be the ones who are actually in charge. I mean, it's easy to see why a politician like, uh, what's her name, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, right? It's easy to see why someone like her would favor socialism. Socialism is where politicians control everything. And she's a politician. So she thinks she's going to be there, part of the the government that is going to actually control everything in the society. And the whole society is going to be basically under the control of her and all of her socialist cronies, the politicians, and the bureaucrats they appoint. Of course, why would she be against socialism? Um, the amazing, the funny thing is, the amazing thing is, you'd have, you'd have uh, very wealthy people who've made a lot of money through through uh, capitalism, who would oppose socialism. And uh, obviously, because they're not thinking in terms of okay, we've got money, we've got the power now to impose socialism on the rest of mankind. And we will be their overlords. That's essentially what's going to happen when they these these politicians, their bureaucrats, and their money their their money behind them uh, impose socialism. They will be the overlords of humanity. They will be the one world government, as far as they're concerned. And uh, so you know, it's it's not hard to see really when you put it all together. Francis preaching against against capitalism and trying to tear it down, but working hand in glove with those who, through capitalism, have made billions of dollars now and basically are the movers and shakers in the world, and they're the ones who are going to impose Francis's social gospel, which is really socialism and which is really tyranny over all mankind. And we will be the cattle, we will be the slaves, and they will be the masters. I mean, look at Bill Gates, right? 
He says he's going to vaccinate all of mankind. Now, who is he? Who is he to tell people? You know, I'm making a vaccine that you're all going to take. Who is he to do that? Well, in his own mind, he's got billions of dollars and he has the power to over not only um, the medical industry, but he's got the power over politicians in his mind to actually make it happen. And he is going to engineer the society of the whole world. He's engineering the new world. You heard, right, that this is a reset. This is the reset of the whole world's economy. That's what they're involved in right now. That's why they have to keep pushing this, this, this virus at all costs. They have to keep driving this virus forward as a battering ram uh, for closing th- things down and keeping things closed down and to force everyone to get their, their vaccine. They have to do that, they think. Uh, because they're going for broke right now. They want to basically remake their, their, their the new global society in the, according to their own scheme and plan of what they say it should be. Um, nope, we're caught up in this, you know. You, uh, you probably watched the debates last night, I imagine, right? Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit? <laughs> That's yeah. hard to stomach. Is that why you were feeling ill? <laughs> Certainly didn't didn't help. It didn't help, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I had to shut it off at a certain point and yeah. just go and pray, go to the chapel and pray the, <laughs> the best response. Pray the, the, the another rosary or two, <laughs> uh, just hoping that God would give the grace to have this somehow yield some good result. <laughs> but it was it was most unfortunate. Uh, it was like a squabble, yeah. one big. Rather embarrassing, mortifying squabble. And uh, as much as I see President Trump representing more by his policies, of course, the uh, Catholic view, obviously, I mean, they're, you know, it's it's a more or less thing. It's not, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, you understand that. Yeah. More than Joseph Biden does, certainly. Biden, who supports aborting babies right up till birth, and uh, socialism, even though he disputes that, but it's a fact. And so many other evil things, right? Um, That um, still, you know, I I, I wish that President Trump would not have come out like he did at the the primaries, you know, as a brawler. I mean, it went went over well with people uh, then, that he came out with a certain passion and determination, and was willing to just state things, you know, that um, that he thought were true, and that people, there are people who could identify that. So yes, that is right. That's correct. That's I I I, I agree with him in that. You know? um, he wasn't dancing around the issues and wasn't uh, trigger coding them in the primary. But you know, he's not in the primary now. He's been president going out four years now. And I just wish he were more presidential and more statesmanlike, and more like. Uh, and and if he had, I think, in my whole hum, humble or unhumble opinion, if he came on with that approach that I am the president, I'm above all this nonsense that you people are, are <laughs> representing. And he just looked at this and listened to them, and you know, just basically 
just by the look on his face, he could have spoken a thousand words without uttering a syllable. Um, and I think the people would have admired that, that he is not um, impressed by them at all. But I think uh, he might have given the impression that uh, they actually uh, had some kind of an argument against him. You know? um, but anyway, I mean, uh, there are those who, who criticize Chris Wallace, the Fox uh, moderator of it. But the way I looked at it was this. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this. Now, Fox News <clears throat> heard the criticism of Wallace even coming from their own correspondence after the debate. So Fox News issued a statement praising Chris Wallace for the job he did, that no one could have done better, um, even though his own Fox correspondents were criticizing the fact that he uh, basically gave Biden a buy and uh, interrupted President Trump three times as much as he did Biden. And on occasion, even shared a little joke with Biden about the way Trump was behaving, you know, as though they both were smirking against him. So it was very clear. And, and at one point, I understand that he was even going on for a minute or two debating President Trump, at which point <coughs> President Trump said, no, I'm debating both of you now, you know. <clears throat> but may, maybe um, we could look at this and say, well, this is the best possible spin from Chris uh, uh, Chris Wallace. Wallace's point of view. Maybe he saw, okay, people tuned in to see a debate between the president and his challenger. Okay. And all I'm seeing here is just kind of bickering. So maybe it's it's like a prize fight where the ch challenger gets into the ring with the champ and, and he's just kind of making all these gestures and, you know, but there's no real debate going on. There's no intellectual engagement. Maybe Wallace figured, okay, I'm the ref, but this is embarrassing. We've got millions of people watching this, expecting some kind of a debate over issues. So I guess uh, I have to basically realize that the challenger is not landing a blow, is not even engaging in a debate. So I guess I'll have to do it myself. Just for the sake of, you know, if that my, my, my network, Fox, is presenting a debate and this is what it's turning into, best possible interpretation for Chris Wallace is, well, I guess I have to try to make a debate out of it myself. Now, do I really think that's what happened? No. <laughs> I think really think Chris Wallace was just being partisan, okay? <clears throat> but if somebody at Fox News wanted to explain why the moderator is getting into, into a debate with the president, <laughs> um when his role is precisely not that, uh, I don't know how else to give them a graceful explanation of how that could possibly be. Uh, um, I would say this, though. If the closest the event approached to being a debate is when President Trump and Chris Wallace were ex in exchange. Because with uh, Mr. Biden... Uh, there was nothing going on as far as any anything intellectual, <laughs> um, anything rational, right? It was just a lot of name calling. I mean, he called the president a clown, right? <clears throat> At one point, he told them to shut up. Yeah. I mean, this is disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful. But uh, as I say, I, I just wish uh, 
I mean, the man kept swinging at him and never hitting him. And, uh, you know, if President Trump just kind of sat there and just made it clear that, you know, he wasn't landing any blows, I would have thought it would have been more dignified. He'll be, be receiving a good, good counsel, good advice, I hope. And he, I hope he follows it. If he watches the show. <laughs> I, I, well, he, uh, even even beyond that, I hope he gets some good advice. We're praying about mm -hmm. this. Um, but, you know, ultimately, we do want Joe Biden to save his soul. Yeah. We want, you know, uh, Donald Trump to save his soul. We want Chris Wallace to save his soul. So we have to pray for him, uh, for all of them. But we have to pray also for the, the American people. Yeah. That they... Um, will hear the truth, they'll recognize it for what it is, and they'll act upon it. I fear that our sinfulness is going to take us down. Um, well, I mean, Our Lady said at Fatima that this is the great danger, isn't it? Sin. And uh, we have to, in all humility, acknowledge that, come to God for forgiveness and seek his justification. And then hopefully, once we receive this justification from God through our Lord Jesus Christ to, because of our repentance, um, then God can sanctify our country. But right now, I think our country is in very grave need of justification from its sins, but it can't be justified from its sins without seeking that uh, through a genuine repentance and a conversion. And that's what we have to pray for. The, the conversion of our country Absolutely. to God. Yeah, that's so as far as we traditional Catholics, uh, we have to practice our faith in its integrity, the traditional Catholic faith and not compromise with modernism or any of its forms, liberalism, progressivism, such, any of these things. We have to absolutely consider anathema, as it always has been in the eyes of the Catholic Church, in the eyes of God. And we have to practice our traditional Catholic faith in its integrity. So, absolutely. <laughs> Father, thanks for being here tonight. Well, you're very welcome, Tom, uh, certainly. So, yep. uh, I guess uh, the next the vice presidential debate is going to be October 7th, and then a week later, maybe, the presidential. So, we'll see what goes. In the meantime, God, God help America. <laughs> God help America. <laughs> absolutely. Wow. Well, thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you. <laughs>